Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. This is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello, everyone. Uh, and yet again, uh, we're a couple, a couple screws short of, uh, I don't know, a carpentry project because uh, we do not have uh, Liz Malone or Steve Barkley with us uh, once again this week. Uh, but that's okay. Me and Ryan can handle it. Excellent. All right, let's show them we can handle it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just leap right in, uh, Ryan. Then why don't you tell the fine folks at home uh, just what the heck we're doing today? All right. So today we have a couple guests who have joined us. We have James Thurston, who is the vice president of G3CIT. Welcome, James. Uh, hello. Good morning. Good morning. And also joining us is Yulia Sarvero, who is the senior project manager of Smart Cities for All. Welcome, Yulia. Thank you for having me. Thanks for hello. joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. I know you guys are very busy, um, and I know that uh, we had some some uh, challenges uh, scheduling, getting all our schedules to line up. So uh, we do really appreciate you guys coming on and, and talking to us a little bit about uh, Smart Cities and what you guys are, are working on um, with the Smart Cities for All initiative. So maybe we could just start the ball rolling with uh, just explaining to to the audience just what what is meant by the term smart city uh good question uh you would think that it's uh an easy question to answer but it, in many ways it's actually not uh, and i can <laughs> kind of explain why uh and then I'll, I'll give you how we think about smart cities uh, maybe just briefly first of all we're we're an international nonprofit organization that julia and i work for we're focused on technology and the rights and inclusion of people with disabilities around the world. So that's sort of our perspective on all of these issues that we work on, uh, technology, accessibility, inclusion. Um, so with cities, uh, there's, I, I sometimes say there are as many definitions of what a smart city is as there are smart cities in the world. Uh, for us, uh, we, we sort of let cities opt in in the work that we do with cities. If they wanna call themselves a smart city because they have a website, in a mobile app, fantastic. We just want to make sure that that website and that mobile app uh, are as accessible as they can be to people with a range of abilities and disabilities. Beyond that, we, we often point to, um, uh, there's a, an organization called the Smart Cities Council. Uh, and uh, I sometimes use their definition of a, what a smart city is uh, uh, for a variety of reasons. One, it's short, but they, they define a smart city as a a city that is using technology, using ICTs to enhance the livability, workability, and sustainability of that city and of the, the people in that city. I, I like that again because it's short. There's a focus on ICTs, uh, but it, it gets to the human aspect of cities when it talks about livability and workability, um, and and we think that's important. That that sort of technology, the deployment of technology assets to really support the the inclusion, the integration, and, and the, the full benefit of living in an urban environment for everyone, including people with disabilities. So what is an ICT? Uh, ICT, uh, sorry for acronyms, is Information and Communications Technology. So it's, okay. it's the range of, of technologies that we're, we're using right now that we're all using 
all day long. So really, it sounds like any sort of any city that's sort of using any sort of uh, sort of higher level technology to sort of regulate infrastructure that it sounds like that can could be considered a smart city. It sounds like there's a really large gradient when it comes to uh, identifying as a smart city. Sure, there is. Um, And maybe we can give you some some examples to make it a little bit more. Real, Julia, I'll start. Maybe you can chime in as well. There's certainly cities that are using technology uh, for a bunch of of backend purposes. So you know, to understand better and monitor how they're using, uh, how well the electrical grid's working, and how they're using power across the city. I think where we're focused on smart cities is where there's a human interaction with that technology. For example, I live in Washington D.C. Um, all jokes aside, we are considered a smart city because of the way that we use technology to support everything that the city does. And if you if you think about cities, big and small, the kinds of services they offer, they are incredibly important to our day-to-day life. It's transportation and mobility, getting around, education, public safety, emergency preparedness and response, um, courts and, and, and ju- judicial activities. Cities are doing all of this kind of activity every day, and they're using technology increasingly to provide all of those services, to support all of those activities. And, and that's where we, we get involved in really trying to work with cities to make sure that as they're using technology to support getting around the city, to support education, to support public safety, that they're using accessible technologies, technology that will work for everyone. And the example that I I often talk about is... An, not a great example, uh, sort of an example of of a less accessible smart city, but here in Washington, early on in the the COVID pandemic, our city um, started putting out a a COVID dashboard every morning with data on transmission rates, hospitalization rates, how many open beds there were that day in hospitals, really useful information, particularly if if you think back to the early days of the pandemic. It's a a sort of a, a quintessential smart city solution of using technology and data to engage with your your communities in the city. Fantastic. I loved it. I looked at it every morning first thing, but completely not accessible to users who who had visual disabilities. So in that sense, it was a a smart solution uh, by by a definition of a smart city, but an inaccessible smart solution. It is very important for the smart city that technology that they use and the technology that they apply and deploy are interactive. If it is just the website, which just uh, has some information about who is responsible for what in the city, probably you cannot call that city already a smart one because uh, uh, this website probably doesn't have the interaction with the citizens. But if the city starts deploying solutions which are collecting the feedback for example, from a city citizens, uh, for example, about the garbage left on the streets or that the street lighting went off or something like that, then it starts uh, using the smart technologies because this uh, feedback and the, the data that is gathered this way starts to inform the decisions that the city makes. One of the questions I have that I I think is making this very, very complex is if you've got a city or a smart city who is 
embracing the technology, are there standards in place so that, let's say, somebody who is vision impaired, they need to access their gas meter, their water meter, their phone, whatever, like, are they going to need 25 different apps because there's no standards in place for this technology? There, great question. Uh, thank you for asking it because uh, Yulia and I both love ta talking about technical standards <laughs> for accessibility. Uh, we really do. Um, and there are standards that exist. Um, there are, uh, in fact, we have a Smart Cities for All website with a toolkit that's available in 11 languages. One of the tools in that toolkit are the three ICT or technology accessibility standards that every city CIO and IT department need to know about and use. And so we, in that, in that document, in that tool, we talk about uh, the WCAG web accessibility standard that defines what accessible means for websites and to an extent mobile apps. Um, but there's two other even more comprehensive accessibility standards for technology. Uh, one is none of these standards have terribly um, simple names. Mm. So they're, uh, one is called EN301549, just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> uh, uh, that is actually a European standard that is uh, that covers hardware, software, technology services, and also web accessibility by embedding the, the WCAG standard. And there's a standard here in the US where, where I live uh, called Section 508, right. which is basically the same as the European standard EN301549. Um, by design, they're about 95, 96% the same, I would say. Uh, and they really do, to the extent possible today, define what it means for different kinds of technologies to be accessible for different kinds of disabilities. And so there, there is no excuse, I guess I would say, for a city IT department not to be familiar with these standards and to be using them. And a lot of the work that Yuli and I do is, is working with cities to understand those city those standards for accessibility and use them on a day-to-day -day basis. In fact, we just got off a call with the city of Istanbul in Turkey on exactly this topic of these standards and how to use them. It's interesting. We've had conversations on this show in the past that talk about, you know, my needs as somebody who's totally blind are different than someone with autism or someone in a wheelchair. So how how do people or how do cities grasp the concept of making themselves a, or becoming a smart city when there is so much diversity or differences in the disability community? So uh, we work with cities in a variety of different ways. One is um, uh, we've partnered with the, the G20, the biggest economies in the world. They have a, a smart city alliance and they work with the World Economic Forum. We're working with cities with, uh, through them, through that partnership to adopt procurement policies, basically requirements on themselves as a city to, that they will only buy accessible technology as defined by these standards. That's great and a huge step forward, I would say. Um, but a part of that is you, you, you need to check what, what you're getting from your vendors, sure. what you're buying. It, it's one thing to say we, you know, it must meet this technical standard for accessibility but you need user testing, you need uh, including by people with a range of abilities and disabilities um, and uh, user needs even before you go out to buy or develop technology for the city, you're, you're gonna wanna get that input. And so we, uh, as part of the work that we do with cities, we also do assessments of cities. How, how good are you at being both a smart city and an inclusive or accessible city uh, based on a sort of a set of criteria? And 
one of the things that we look at in that is how are you engaging people with disabilities, your employees with disabilities? Uh, how are you engaging them in the digital transformation of the city and the use of technology? But also how are you engaging other communities of, of people with disabilities in user needs analysis and even testing as you deploy new technology solutions? And for the most part, the cities have, have been embracing that and, and, and grasping that concept of engaging the community? Um, <laughs> I, I would say, so uh, uh, I've been doing accessibility work for, for 20 years in different mm -hmm. positions, seven years here at this nonprofit organization. I think we're at a, a dramatically different yes. point today than we were even five years ago, where uh, I tell folks... Um, I used to spend most of my day just kind of begging people to care about the issue of disability and accessibility. Yeah, we don't have. I don't have to do that anymore. People right. get it. The CIO of the city gets why they should care. They just don't know what to do. So it's exactly. much more. The conversations today are much more around um, how do I do this, not yeah. why. Why do I need to bother to care about this? Uh, I would say, uh, and which is obviously a much better place to be. But there's still an enormous amount of work to do. To, to do what I call the, the heavy hand-holding with cities sure. on, on helping them understand exactly what they need to do to make sure that this enormous digital transformation of cities is becoming, uh, is is not creating a bigger barrier, bigger mm -hmm. digital divide for people with disabilities. Right. Just, just to add here, um, and again, to reiterate, the biggest issue probably the awareness raising uh, but not only in the city, because CIO of the city or the mayor of the city might already be on board in terms of the accessibility, but uh, also with their employees of the city and the vendors. And uh, we, a couple of years ago, we had a very interesting project uh, dedicated to the inclusive innovation uh, environment, to innovation ecosystem because many cities are uh, partnering with innovation uh, ecosystem. They are working with startups. Uh, they are hosting their uh, incubators or startups to help them come up with their solutions for a city. And the biggest problem there is the awareness raising mm -hmm. uh, among those vendors, but also the capacity building, because even if they realize that accessibility is important, as James said, they don't know what to do next. Yeah, and that's that's really interesting. I, I mean, I feel like this is a really a, a common theme over the years um, in terms of, of, especially in terms of technology. You know, we new technology is developed uh, and then after the fact, and after it's been implemented, somebody goes, oh, well, wait a minute, uh, is, this, is this accessible? And then they have to go back and they have to retool and, and sort of, you know, tack on some sort of uh, accessibility um, add-on. I mean, you know, even, even smartphones themselves, I mean, that took several years um, for all the accessibility features to be built into the, you know, the, whatever it was, the second or third generation of, of iPhone. So is that starting to change? Because I really see that that as the key. Um, it's got to trickle down to those vendors, to those developers. You, the, the idea of universal design 
it, it seems to me that once that happens, we're going to be a lot farther down the road because then when cities go to the vendors and they purchase the technology, well, it's, it's already accessible. So yeah. it, in that sense, are things getting better? They, they are, I, I think. Um, and I think one of the biggest drivers that I've seen over the, <clears throat> the past couple of decades in, in pushing industry to be better on accessibility is is this uh, procurement. Uh, and I should say, Julie and I both come from the technology industry uh, uh, and, and love technology and the development of technology and innovation. But what we're seeing because of, of procurement policies, the US has section 508, which requires the US federal government to buy only accessible technology. That policy was the first of its kind. Others like Canada, which where I think you guys are, are based, uh, are moving in that direction as well and have pieces of that kind of policy. We're working with cities to adopt policies that they that require them to buy only accessible technology in countries as well. And when the US federal government adopted it uh, a couple of decades ago, uh, I, I was working in, in industry at the time and we really saw a shift to companies not only innovating around accessibility, uh, to get that business of the U.S. federal government, which is the biggest consumer of technology in the world. Uh, so, of course, people are going to want that business, but competing with each other based on the accessibility of their products and services. Uh, and so one of the, the what, what Julia and I call the, the kind of low-hanging fruit of accessibility policy is working with cities and governments to, to get these, these procurement policies because it really does push the industry to, one, be aware of accessibility and how people with disabilities use technology, innovate around that and compete on accessibility. Because if your biggest customers and typically governments are the biggest uh, customers of, of technology companies, the biggest single customer, if they're saying accessibility matters to us, th then you're going to pay attention. And we've certainly seen that be the case. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, you, you're, you're basically hitting them you know, where it hurts, you know, because it, all, all it's going to take is to lose one or two contracts because your, your product is not accessible um, for, for developers and, and, and uh, vendors to really, to really take notice. Exactly. Yep. I would like to make sure that uh, accessibility is taken as seriously as uh, privacy and security. If the product uh, uh, does not provide all the features of privacy and security, it will not be purchased by the city. Mm -hmm. So we want to see the same, uh, the same focus on accessibility. So, I mean, it must be, I mean, when I think about this, I just feel like it must, it sounds so daunting, uh, even just on a, on a city by city basis, because there's so many moving parts and, and city, different cities all over the world are moving into, are embracing technology at different rates. This must just feel like a, a huge game of whack-a-mole in terms of trying to, to help cities manage this. Um, what's it like in terms for you guys? Um, you, can, you guys must be working off your feet. Yeah, you know, it, it, it is a bit like whack-a-mole in, in the the challenge or the opportunity, I like to sort of spin it in a more positive way, the, the opportunity is, is gigantic. We're a small uh, international, but small nonprofit organization. I, I like to say we have a small organization with a big global footprint, I think we are, but the only way we can scale our mission, scale our impact is through collaborations and partnerships. And so we partner with 
with organizations, um, public sector and private sector organizations, civil society organizations that have a, a bigger presence on the global stage than we do. Uh, so I, I mentioned we're partnering with the, the G20 Smart City Alliance and the World Economic Forum, two huge organizations with a lot of reach. Uh, and they are helping us bring this message and tools and model policies to cities uh, around procurement, for example. Uh, we partner with companies. We do a, a lot of work with, with companies like Microsoft, who also have a, a huge global presence and are interested in partnering to, to bring this message of accessibility and inclusion to more and more governments, both at the national level and, and subnational or, or city level as well. Um, so those kinds of collaborations are key. We've done some work in the past with the World Bank, um, focused on GovTech and accessible and inclusive GovTech. They put out a great guide for the, uh, the governments that they work with around the world, um, primarily in emerging and develop, developing economies. They're all undergoing a digital transformation as well, and they need to understand about accessibility as part of that. So that's how we, you know, we sort of get at this whack-a-mole kind of, of of challenge, I guess, is is really through these strategic uh, partnerships with with organizations who have global reach and and shared objectives around our mission, which is inclusive and accessible technology. We also partner with uh, other organizations, nonprofit organizations like Worldwide Union. Mark was on your podcast uh, a couple mm -hmm. of weeks ago, uh, and many others. IDA, uh, they are all uh, membership organizations, uh, and they have members from different countries, different regions of the world. And it is important for us to stay in touch with them and to have them as, their, as our partners to reach out to uh, different countries. And we also are very lucky to have our own network of experts, our country representatives. Uh, we just uh, announced yesterday that we are joined by three more and now we have 40 experts uh, in, in 40 different countries in the world. And looking at your website, it looks like you've got a, a lot of large cities, you know, LA, for example, have there, or do you have an example of a perhaps smaller town or city that has made the digital transfer transformation and, and is a true smart city at this point? Because LA seems huge and daunting. <laughs> Los Angeles is, is uh, the second biggest city in the U S and um, the, the short answer is, there, there certainly are examples of cities, small and medium-sized cities that are undergoing a digital transformation that are becoming smarter and using technology. We probably to date haven't worked with many of them because okay. our initially in our work with cities, we wanted to 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 partner with cities that uh, that could then drive greater interest, frankly, sure, around the sure. world. So cities like Istanbul and uh, Quito, Ecuador and and uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Rio and in Los Angeles and New York. Um, that being said, interestingly, we we are now, I think, at the point where we're interested in trying to migrate these messages and tools to, to smaller and medium-sized cities as well. And, and, uh, um, and not that long ago, I've started some conversations around that, even in, with some of the, the smaller, medium-sized Canadian cities also, um, but in other countries as well. Um, okay. We absolutely do want to reach cities of all size. Most of humanity lives in a city yes. uh, of some size, and so, <laughs> as do most people with disabilities. And so we want to make sure that that as all of these cities are undergoing this digital transformation, that they are 
uh, all uh, no matter what the size of the city that they're they're thinking about accessibility on the front end, not on the back end. We, we worked uh, we've done some work with Raleigh, North Carolina, did an assessment of them. That is a I wouldn't call it a small city, but a medium-sized city for the U.S. I would say. Mm -hmm. um, I think there were about five hundred thousand people at the time. And so, like, is can you can you explain a little bit more in detail how they've become a smart city and what maybe what work still needs to be done to push them over the finish line? So with 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 Raleigh, they they actually had a um, uh, a pretty sophisticated digital strategy, as do a lot of small and medium sized cities, I would say. Uh, and again. For us, we really do let cities opt in to defining themselves as smart. You know, all of them are using technology for these key services that they provide. Um, in in Raleigh, the work that we did with them was an assessment. So we sort of looked at, uh, you guys are undergoing a, a pretty comprehensive digital transformation across all of your departments. You're investing a lot in technology. How we, we What we did was go and look at their systems and processes and say, hey, as you're doing this, uh, as you're buying technology, deploying technology, are those assets accessible? How do you know if they're accessible? What do you do when they're not accessible? What's the role of the leadership in the city in driving a greater focus on accessibility and inclusion? Uh, as Julia pointed out, how are you engaging people with disabilities as part of this? Um, and then gave them a, a, a set of recommendations to improve. But I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed, frankly, to find any city, small, medium, or large, in any geography that is not using technology to some extent. Right. And, and again, critically important in the work that we do is with the cities is think about how you're using technology as a city with an outward focus to the, your communities, to your citizens, to tourists, to others in the city, but also for your employees with disabilities. Cities are big employers of people, A, and of people with disabilities. And, and for someone with a disability to be successful in a job, and effective in a job with the city, whether it's for the transportation department or the libraries department, um, the, the technology that the city is using to get their work done across these teams and different departments also has to be accessible. Yeah, that was actually that that very question was actually on my list because, you know, we at first you at first glance, you might think that, oh, well, you know, it's really important for whatever technology, whatever front-facing technology that, that users are going to interact with, it's important for that to be accessible for, because, you know, the community needs to, to be able to, to use that. Um, but like you said, um, it's also important for cities out there that, that want to be inclusive and they want to have inclusive hiring practices that their systems and their infrastructure is also uh, accessible yeah. so that they, they, they can do that. Yep. We, um, as part of these assessments that we do of cities, which we also do of universities and companies and other organizations that are using technology, we absolutely look at what we call the, the culture of inclusion, where uh, we look at their systems for hiring and supporting and advancing people with disabilities within the workforce of, of the city, for, for sure. And how do they source candidates with um, with disabilities? How do they support them with accommodations? How do they make sure that their career Velocity is the same as other employees without disabilities, um, and and are they even thinking about all of that? So we we absolutely look at that. It's one of the things that we found early on in our work with cities, is that, um, and this is just anecdotal, not necessarily substantiated with 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 data, but I feel pretty confident about it, that 
cities and really any organization that's employing people with disabilities in the IT department and other departments, they're going to have a, a stronger focus on accessibility than uh, cities that are, aren't necessarily have don't necessarily have a diverse workforce, including people with disabilities. And uh, we did an assessment early on at the city of Chicago, and, and that point came up pretty strongly. In the city there, had had taken some some really good steps to make sure that um, the IT department had a focus on accessibility, that there were employees with disabilities, training on disability, those sorts of things. So I, I want to I step back and talk a little bit about uh, partnerships again, um, because it, it seems to me like on the show, we, we talk to so many different organizations on so many different uh, levels. Um, and what, what occurs to me is that accessibility is not something that's going to be solved by one organization on one level. Um, you know, it, it, obviously it, it needs, it needs organizations on, on a higher level, like, like you guys, um, right down to, you know, small nonprofits that are, um, working to improve accessibility within their own neighborhoods. Do you feel that? all the accessibility work that all these different organizations are, are working on all over the world, is it, does it feel really fragmented? Um, like, I, I really think that, that strategic partnerships really need to, to be more of a focus for a lot of organizations. Is that kind of how you are seeing things as well? Um, let me take a stab at this, and then Julia, Julia comes at this from a a different background than me and a different geography than me, um, so may have different perspective. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I've been doing work around disability and technology and accessibility for 20 years. The, the landscape has changed enormously in many ways. Um, but it, to, to me, frankly, it still feels a bit like a small community of, of people who are doing work in this space. Um, it's growing. One of the things that our nonprofit does is run the International Association of Accessibility Professionals, IAAP. Uh, I would encourage you to check it out. Um, and it, which is growing chapters in other countries and has thousands of members, both individual members and corporate members or organizational members, um, cities, universities, companies. And, and it focuses on what every professional society does, the training and certification of professionals. So in this case, people who have accessibility as all or part of their job. The fact that that exists and is growing in a robust way is a, is a real data point about um, the expansion of real professional credibility and competence on accessibility. And, and the, that professional society uh, is both built environment accessibility and digital technology accessibility. So in, in that sense, uh, I, I do think, and I, I see people advertising for jobs every day for accessibility professionals, all of which is, is great progress. That being said, uh, within the, the this community of people worldwide who are doing work on accessibility of technology in particular in disability, uh, you know, people often talk about the, the six degrees of separation. I think there's probably one or two degrees of separation between people in the field. I think it's pretty easy to get connected if you want to be. And, and there are some robust formal and informal networks of people working in this space worldwide that, that makes it easier to partner with big and small organizations. I would probably add here that um, in other geographies, there might be differences. Uh, and this is related to the role of the government. In many countries, without the 
support from the government, without the initiative from the government, the nonprofit organizations and other actors um, cannot do much on a global level. Uh, and uh, for that, we have some uh, statistics. In G3ICT, we have uh, the DARE index, which stands for Digital Accessibility Rights Evaluation Index. Uh, we evaluate more than 130 countries in the world uh, in different aspects of digital accessibility. And one of those aspects uh, is the implementation of uh, digital accessibility rights. We know that they are in the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. We know that many countries in the world, uh, almost all the members of the UN are uh, the members, uh, the, the signing parties to the convention. But do they implement it? This is the big question. And uh, the question of partnerships is very important, but it means the partnership on all the levels, including the government and including the local nonprofits. So you guys must have a, a, a sort of a, a unique perspective because you're you're really you're working on a, on a global level. So and obviously you know different cities in different countries are, are going to have are, are going to be farther along the the accessibility process than others. And I, I don't necessarily want to ask you to throw anybody under the bus or but. But do you do you find that quite often um, you're sort of surprised at at sort of where certain countries or certain cities are? I mean, there must be a, like a, a real a real variation in terms of of who's sort of doing it right and and who's doing it wrong. Um, yes, I would say I I'll speak for me. I'm. Um, despite having done this for a while, often surprised, both good and bad, frankly, uh, where you know cities that I would expect to be a little bit more mature in their approach to accessibility um, aren't, and cities where I'm pleasantly surprised that, oh, well, they're, they're doing some really good practices here that support inclusion and accessibility. We, we often get asked, um, you know, well, what is the most accessible and inclusive city in the world? Uh, and, and or who's doing it perfectly. And, and no one is doing it perfectly. No city is fantastic. Many cities have some good practices. And uh, as I mentioned, we do these assessments of cities across 27 different variables that, that look at how accessible and inclusive they are as they're using technology more and more. Um, but some cities are doing some, some really great practices that again, we share through these networks that we were just talking about. So for example, uh, the city of Rio de Janeiro, which is a smart city and has been investing in smart technology for some time. Uh, a couple of things that, that it does really well that, that we often talk about is um, it trains its uh, its IT professionals on accessibility and disability. That's critically important. So they are at least aware. Um, but they, one of the other things that they did that I, I really liked is um, every city communicates all kinds of information out to the world. They do it on paper, they do it electronically. Uh, and typically cities will have, for their employees, will have some sort of communications guide. This is how you communicate on behalf of the city of Rio or Washington or whatever it is. Uh, you know, it could be the, the communications guide for employees may include things like the, the city logo has to go here, the font has to be this. What Rio did was integrate into that communications guide that goes to 
all employees that are communicating on behalf of the of the city. Um, accessibility. This is how you make sure that your communications are accessible. So the, the city could have the most accessible website in the world, but if they're uploading inaccessible documents as communications, then it doesn't matter. So, so the fact that that's a great practice that Rio did. Uh, I often point to the city of, of Tel Aviv and Israel as, as a real leader on accessibility as it's becoming smarter. They also train their employees on accessibility. They use these global accessibility standards. They make sure in their procurements that they're buying, that they're requiring accessibility in the technology that they buy and then deploy. Uh, New York also does some really good stuff around procurement as well. They've been piloting in New York um, uh, transportation stations that integrate technology, but that are also accessible as they integrate technology. Uh, Julia and I just finished a, a project with five cities in the Americas. So in, in Brazil, in Ecuador, and the United States and Chile. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Chile, um, where, and this is a project that I, I really love and a great practice um, that when I talk to cities around the world about accessibility and, and inclusion and disability, the, the number one problem that I hear has nothing to do with technology. It has to do with sidewalks, that sidewalks are inaccessible to people with disabilities. Uh, you know, there could be uh, obstacles in the sidewalk, there could be potholes, there, um, there, there are real challenges to mobility for people with disabilities because of sidewalks. The project that we, we just did in talking about partnerships, we partnered with the University of Washington and with Microsoft to work with these five cities to address that problem of understanding the accessibility of your thousands of miles of sidewalks in, each, in every city um, by using data, different data streams, and by using AI and more leading edge technology. So we can use technology to address these long-standing, somewhat mundane built environment accessibility challenges. And so in each of these cities, we uh, we got different data streams. We used the University of Washington has a solution to to use those data streams to basically help someone with a disability, uh, different kinds of disabilities, uh, find the the most accessible route for them personally from point A to point B. It may not be the fastest route, but for them, uh, it could be a person with a visual disability or uh, in a in a wheelchair. For them, it's the most accessible route. And by that, it could be, you know, there, there's no incline on the sidewalks greater than 7%, whatever is their personal preference. Um, the sidewalk has to be asphalt, no, no dirt sidewalks. There has to be a curb curb and a curb cut. Um, there's all kinds of different variables. But again, the, because of these leading edge technologies, the cities can actually transform the different data streams into really usable and powerful information uh, that addresses, again, the, the biggest problem that I hear of, which is sidewalks. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that, because uh, just recently we were talking uh, with a with an orientation and mobility instructor uh, that lives in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. And uh, one of the, the huge things that that city is struggling with is is sidewalks. Um, there's There's so many cases where sidewalks will just end. Uh, unexpectedly, and and part of the the reason behind the problem that the cities had is that their their policy has been the fact that businesses were responsible for the sidewalks yeah. in front of their storefront, and so you know some sub businesses would would make a great sidewalk and others didn't, and there there didn't really seem to be much of a enforcement mechanism uh, behind that. So you just had this the, this case where. 
sidewalks, you know, your, your mileage will vary depending on, on where you are yeah. in the city and, and what yeah. neighborhood you're in. And that seems to be, um, that would be incredibly challenging to, to try to fix um, at this point. So I, I guess, you know, my question for you guys is that, do you find that, that different cities in globally are kind of easier to walk through this process depending on where they are in terms of adapting this technology? Because it, it also seems to me that if it's earlier in that process and you're able to get to them early and say, here's, here's how you, you, you work in accessibility into all of this technology, it seems to me that that would be a lot easier than to try to go to a city that's already implemented a bunch of things that are, that are inaccessible. Yes, I would probably agree with that. Although I think uh, we we have found it easy, relatively speaking, to work with cities in all kinds of different geographies, global north and global south, developed and developing economies. I think a couple differentiating factors in terms of the complexity of working with a city would be the size. Uh, thinking back to some of the, the smaller, medium-sized cities that we worked with, it, it, just because it's easier to have, there's less bureaucracy and there's fewer people to talk to and the gating functions, that sort of thing, it, it can be easier to sort of work with a group of people in a city that's a bit smaller than a, than a very, very large city, although we certainly do work with really large cities that, as well. And I think you're right about um, the whole remediation thing that if, and this is why, we, one of the reasons why we focus on procurement, make sure you're buying accessible technology because if you need to fix it after the fact, then it's going to be expensive and, and difficult. And, and the, the example that I often give um, on that is um, one of the kinds of smart solutions that we see all kinds of cities deploying. Uh, we have one here in Washington, D.C. Is, is a digital, what we call in the U.S., a digital 311 system, a, a way for um, citizens or people in the city to report problems, as Julia mentioned, the streetlight or the pothole or um, and you know, and then get immediate, hopefully immediate action from the relevant department. And then they get back to you and say, you know, we we dispatched the public works department. They fixed the pothole. It should be fine. James, go out and check it out. Lots of cities are deploying some version of that. Lots of companies are developing solutions to do exactly that with with your citizens. Fantastic. As a technologist, I, I love that. Um, we have kind of two examples of that 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 gets to your. The, the the challenge that you mentioned in the problem uh, a large city in mexico i we, we don't we will mention city names when we're talking about a good practice if it's a not such a good practice we won't we're, we're not in the business of shaming anybody uh, but a, a large city in, in mexico um had deployed one of these digital 311 systems it was fantastic um but in a meeting i i asked the cio well you know is it is it accessible how did you engage people with disabilities in the development of it and testing and and you could literally see the the blood drain from his face because they hadn't uh, and knowing that it it was a huge investment and it, it was not necessarily going to be easy to retrofit and make it accessible um the alter uh, opposite of that is the city of chicago around the same time actually was creating a digital 311 system and they did involve people with disabilities in the needs analysis and the, in the development and the testing and at every sort of step of the way in developing their digital 311 system which is which is um a award-winning and highly accessible i was probably probably at, at here to the question of rob 
uh, regarding the smaller cities who are early, uh, early in the days of uh, getting towards accessibility. Uh, yes, I would also agree that it is the best time when they can start thinking about it and uh, deploy it into their procurement uh, policy. But the major challenge that they all have is the budget. And they usually need uh, to decide what is their priority with the budget that they have. What are the focus areas for them that they need uh, to focus first? Uh, so it is, uh, of course, it would be good if uh, the uh, disability community or organizations like G3ICT um, can get in their way and show the importance of accessibility, that accessibility is as important as privacy and security and um, open data and everything else that uh, pops up when you are starting uh, the digital transformation journey. Uh, but uh, that would be good to have a platform or a forum where we all can get to them and uh, deliver this message to them. I always feel like what I have to sort of constantly remind myself of is, is you know, as advocates and, and as people who have, have sort of talked to so many different organizations, uh, it's really easy to get impatient and, and want things to, to move forward at a much faster pace than they seem to are. It's, and I think, I guess what, you, what I always have to remind myself is it, it is a process. Um, we, you can't expect, there, there's a lot of moving parts to all of this in terms of embracing accessibility and really making some, some forward strides. And that, that's everything from, it could be something that's it's cultural for the country, or it could be right down to sort of local government. I, I think that, that attitudes around accessibility and even disability can trickle down so far right down to like the the local you know city council level um and everywhere in between and that's that's a lot of moving parts and that's a lot of hearts and minds to sort of sink into so i guess my question is from your perspective uh, on, a, on a global level are things are people beginning to embrace this a lot more? And is that sort of trickling down to everybody? Um, I'll jump in first. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of a, a glass half full kind of person, optimistic. And yeah, I do think that we are seeing a um, extensive um, focus around the world in different geographies, different size organizations, different size cities on accessibility and inclusion. And as I mentioned, the I never have the, this, the conversations where I'm begging someone to just to engage on the topic of accessibility and inclusion. Those, for me anyways, from my experience, those days are gone. It's much more about what do we actually do, um, which again is a, a really good place to be. Uh, there's an openness to that. Uh, still a lot of need, both in cities in this case, but also in the companies that are developing solutions. One of the things that that um, we did a few years ago as part of a global study on on innovation in cities and smart solutions is, is actually did uh, a survey of companies and, and innovators that are in incubators and accelerators around the world. These are people creating new technology solutions and very few of them had any idea if their new solutions, which could be the next great thing, 
were accessible. So they're not, we're in, in that sense, we are probably still falling behind if, if all of these new solutions that are coming out every day are, are not accessible, the, the ones that are being developed by new companies or existing companies and new products and services. So there's a lot of work to be done there for sure. But um, I think through activities like the professional society and other you know, professional societies, we've done some partnering with, for example, the, the professional society for human resources professionals. They are part of the solution. They also need to understand accessibility and inclusion. Um, so th through these networks and, and through these um, organizations like the, the big banks and, and companies, I, I absolutely do feel like we are covering more ground and getting more people engaged, but you are right. We, we need to continue sort of not just pushing it down to the sort of line managers and people on the front lines of, of technology purchasing and deployment, but also to the senior executives. A lot of the work we do is with the, the C-suite of companies of cities. They, they need to buy into this. We, we did an assessment of the University of Massachusetts a couple of years ago, looking at how well they were using technology. It's a huge organization, lots of students, lots of staff. And the CIO uh, at the university, who's fantastic and was really driving change at that university to be more accessible, he, he talked about pockets of heroic effort, that there were people in departments kind of alone, really slogging away, wanting to, to, to improve accessibility, but there were these pockets of heroic effort that just by themselves, we're going to make some progress, but they're not going to transform the university or a city. And to do that, you really need to change the culture, which I think you guys were, were asking about before. And to do that, you need the, the senior executives involved. Um, so you need to be pushing up, focus on it up, including to the boards. And there's organizations like Valuable 500 that are doing that in companies, but also push it down to the, the, the people who are working on technology deployments every day. Well, great, good. I'm glad that that was your answer because uh, I was like, oh, I hope that I hope we we can end on a on a high note. So that's good. That's perfect. I kind of I kind of set that up on purpose. I was I was hoping that that would be your answer. Great. Uh, so in October, we are going to have our annual um, conference, which is one of the biggest conference on accessibility in the world. Uh, M enabling will be happening in Washington D.C. Uh, October 24th to 26th, and uh, it gathers the representatives of the industry, of the cities, of the national governments, of disability community, uh, nonprofit organizations, academia. So the audience is huge and the lineup of speakers and panelists in different sessions is uh, huge and very diverse. And uh, I would say, these are the leading experts in their fields. And of course, we're uh, looking forward to, to see as many people as possible there to make these discussions more uh, lively and more uh, useful and helpful to the industry, or I can even, even say to all the industries because accessibility applies to any industry not only to smart cities or to governments, uh, not only to technology industry, but also to retail, uh, to justice system, to museums and to tourism. So there are so many aspects of accessibility that uh, uh, are covered at this biggest event. 
And so if people want more information on M enabling or smart cities or G3ICT, where can people go? Sure. So for G3ICT, which is the overall nonprofit organization that, that we work for and the professional societies there and um, the M enabling summit is there, uh, that's G, G3ICT.org. For our smart cities work, it's smartcitiesforall.org, smartcities, the number four, all.org. Um, the professional society is accessibilityassociation.org. And M enabling is M enabling.org. All of it can be found through the main website, which is g3ict.org. Excellent. Awesome. Well, uh, once again, uh, we want to thank you so much for taking some time out uh, to talk to us about this. And, and honestly, like, thank you so much for the, the work that you guys are doing, because uh, it's, it's incredibly important, um, both on a, on a global level, but also, you know, all of the work that you're doing is trickling down to, you know, to even to me and Ryan's neighborhoods. So uh, we certainly appreciate that. You bet. And thanks for, for bringing us on and for helping to get the word out. We appreciate your work as well. Absolutely. And feel free. We're happy to have you guys on anytime, um, you know, and, and we will be uh, keeping a close eye on uh, the M enabling event in October. Great. Well, if you end up going, let us know. Uh, we'd love to see you there. But that's a great idea, actually. I'd love to see Washington. Yeah. <laughs> that's what well, a perfect opportunity. That's yeah, right. I'll pitch that to, to Steve. All right, guys. Well, again, thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, James. Awesome. All right, Thanks, Julia. Guys, have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Whew. Man, I tell you, um, I love talking to these organizations that are working on a global level, although it's a little intimidating because it's, it's just like, wow, these guys are doing like such important work and are so high level that it, and they're talking to like two schmoes like us. I'm glad there are people that are built for duties, jobs, careers like that, because yeah. I know myself and how frustrated I get at the pace of progress or lack thereof when it comes to assistive technology, accessibility, inclusion, that I would just be, I would be fired in day one. There's just no way that I could day after day after day be reaching out to people and organizations and not seeing faster progress. I, like you said, it's a process. It's not just a matter of flipping a switch and boom, we're accessible. That's right. Yeah. You know, like, and one of the examples I was thinking of is, you know, we talk about the lack of awareness of assistive, te assistive technology or accessibility. We have post-secondaries that aren't even teaching web accessible web design still. Right. So just imagine how daunting it is to, talk to a city or a government about becoming accessible. I just, yeah, I'm glad there's people doing it that are more qualified than I. Well, you know, I, and I think that the, the thing to take away from, from today's show is that things are getting better. Uh, yep. I mean, it does sound like um, it, it's being, the idea of accessibility is being well more or far more well-received these days yeah. than even 10 years ago. Um, so that is progress right there. I think that, I think that, that what faces a lot of people is not the, they, they want to make things more accessible. They just don't know how. And that's where organizations like G3 ICT are doing amazing work because they're able to sort of come in and say, okay, here's how you do it. 
Um, and that's, and that's really what's needed. But, but do you uh, think, do you think though, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, do you think that's a cop out? You know, we can, we have Google, if you type in how to make an app accessible, you're going to get guidelines on guidelines, whether it's, you know, W3GC or WCAG, you're going to get guidelines on how to make something accessible. So in some regards, I think that may be used as a cop-out, but yeah, there's definitely some high-tech stuff that I understand an engineer may not understand accessibility. You got to remember like cities don't operate like that. It's not like the city's making say an app. They're buying that from a vendor, a vendor makes it right. And so if the vendor isn't um, making that app accessible and they sell it to the city and the city purchases it, then the city's stuck. The city, I'm, t- I'm, sa- I'm saying the city doesn't necessarily know how to make that app accessible, right? So that's, that's part of the problem. But, you know, in any case, I mean, the fact that, that G3 ICT is around and yes. they're able to step cities through that process and then be able to, to point to things that are inaccessible. Because the other thing that I think that you have to remember is that if the city releases a, an app or a system that's not necessarily accessible, they don't necessarily always hear about that. Like, again, it's if the community doesn't push back on something and complain or make noise that, hey, this part isn't accessible, city's never even going to know. And that's why, you know, G3 ICT, they go in and they do these audits, right? And they go, oh, okay, well, this system isn't accessible. This, I mean, cities well, may t- not even even know the fact that that certain aspects of their infrastructure are inaccessible. Well, let's flip that around to the community as a whole. You know, James mentioned the three one one service and how people can you know leave comments on oh, there's a pothole on such and such a street or there's a light out or whatever. Yep. You know, here in the Lower Mainland in British Columbia, do we as members of the community do we have a mechanism, a website, an app, a phone number? that we can call to let, let the cities know of issues like that. I don't know. Maybe yeah, there good, is. Good question. Yeah. But I don't I know. know. Like exactly. let's flip that around. I know the, the city may not know about accessibility, but do we as members of the disability community have yeah. a mechanism to report back to the city? I don't yeah, know. It's true. Yeah. We, who knows? Right. Uh, and if we do, is it accessible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's a whole other, other question. Right? So, but I mean, there's a lot of moving parts when you really think yeah. about it, right? You know, and I think that embracing accessibility um, on so many different levels, when you're passing through so many different levels of, of government and people, because at the end of the day, government is just made up with people. Uh, you know, it's going to vary widely depending on the city and because it right down to like, I don't know, maybe somebody on city council has an uncle that's in a chair and they're way more in tune with accessibility needs than, than um, everybody else. That particular district of that particular city, maybe that's a little bit more accessible than others because of that. You know what I mean? So there's all these different variables. What, what a federal government is in power at any given time can sort of influence how seriously they're taking accessibility and you know you you stretch that out to a global level um i mean that must just it must be just so challenging to to um interact with all those variables so i mean these guys are doing incredible work they are absolutely and i think you know one of the one of the comments i had passed along to you before the conversation today was you know, there is some chatter in the disability community about the word accessible or accessibility. And does that word actually mean or define anything? 
it doesn't, it's a, such a generic term. We hear it used in mainstream conversation all the time, not related to the ability for someone blind to read an elevator button. It may be used as, you know, oh, I, I found that accessible or easy to access. You know, there's usable, there's accessible, there's inclusive. I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm starting to change my mind about the word accessible or accessibility because it's so generic. And when the mainstream uses it, it sometimes means something totally different than what we think it should mean. Well, this goes back to your question about standards. And that's why, that's why standards are important. Um, yeah. So that when you say something is accessible, that's because it has checked every standard you know, checkbox in the list, right? At the end of the day, accessibility just means exactly what you said. Like, can I access this thing? So whether that's a store, because that mm -hmm. store has a ramp that um, somebody in a chair can can use to get into, um, or if it's a you know if it's a website or if it's an app. I mean, I, I yeah you know I, I I agree. I think that that the term itself can be challenging, and I think that for for a business, a local government, a federal government, to just make something accessible. That you know, that can be a challenge because well, what does that mean, right? So just, yeah, I, I agree. Even just talk about a a single storefront, a single storefront. Do they have a sidewalk? Do they have a ramp? Do they have an accessible bathroom? Is their ATM machine accessible? You know, like there's just take one business. That's that's daunting for a business owner to even contemplate because they don't know. Are the yeah. are the price tags on the clothing racks accessible? Or do I have to ask for assistance? You know, like it's so daunting and complex. And that's just yep. one, one business. We're talking yep. about a city and the infrastructure. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a challenge, right? I mean, this is why, this is why, you know, yeah. they're, they're doing such important work. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, the important thing is, is that the conversations are happening. Yep. People are taking it seriously and they're trying their best. And yes, sometimes uh, they fail. Um, yeah. But Brush yourself uh, off and keep yeah, moving exactly. forward. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, hopefully they learn from the mistake and they're able to address it in future builds. So, uh, but in yeah, the meantime, just, we need to learn patience. <laughs> I think that's, I think that that is your lesson of the day, my friend. I think you just need to be patient. I mean, it sucks, but yeah. things move slowly, especially when uh, governments are involved and bureaucracies involved. But uh, it sounds like the conversation's happening. And uh, I'm, I'm coming away from this episode feeling optimistic. All right. Big surprise, right? Uh, absolutely. All right. Let's get out of here, sir. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Hey, where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. Hey, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com. And they can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's right. Woot, woot. All right. All right. Well, man, see, it's a, it's a lean, mean podcast machine when uh liz and steve are gone we've just got this down to a science yeah no wasting time no frivolous banter that's right just right to the point right to the point everybody's got a focused although i do miss them really 
Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Fun. Miss giving Liz a hard time. Yes. Well, don't give her too hard of a time. She may never come back. Oh, she will. She loves it. <laughs> she loves it. And she's listening to this right now. So, hi, Liz. <laughs> you know you love it. Right. Liz at Liz. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, all right all right that is going to about do it for us this week big thanks of course to james and yulia for joining us and we will see everybody next next week this podcast has been brought to you by canadian assistive technology providing low vision and blindness solutions across canada find us online at www.canastech.com That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.